Hi, my name is Alexis Watson, and I'm the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Advisor for the Northeast Conference. Today, I'm joined by Morgan, Zoe, Andrew, and Chris for our Activism and Allyship Discussion for Black History Month. Why don't we go ahead and get ourselves introduced and welcome with each other. Morgan, do you want to start us off? Yeah, great. Thank you, Alexis. Um, and thank you for having us all here. My name is Morgan Turner. I'm the communications assistant for the Northeast Conference. And again, I'm just glad to be here and thank you all for listening. I'm Zoe driscoll Spar. I'm a senior at Merrimack College and I'm on the softball team. My name is Andrew. I'm a sophomore at St. Francis College and I'm on the men's volleyball team. Hi, I'm Chris Frederick. I'm a senior. Uh, I run track and I'm from St. Francis University. Thanks for being with us, guys. We're super excited. Um, to get us started off, why don't we each go around and say what allyship means to you? I think allyship to me means um, sense of unity. And even though we all come from different backgrounds, um, although I might not know the struggle, haven't faced the struggles of the person standing next to me, um, I'll still stand with them no matter what they're facing. Um, I would just say it's just being there, being a helping hand, just to see each other's perspectives, their struggles, hardships, and just being just a better, like, I guess, helping hand um, just for the community, just so everyone can get a better understanding of each other. Yeah, I mean, everything that they said, um, I see it too, also like a companionship kind of thing, like where one feeds off the other, especially in like an underrepresented community, the ally is usually the one that like upbrings them and supports them and like brings light to the issue. But, yeah, yeah um, so I am in a slightly different position than everyone here. So allyship for me is using my privilege, especially as a white woman, to stand with our student athletes of color and people of color in general, to take myself and put myself in a position where I can be of most use. And, you know, I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I, it's hard for me to gather my thoughts sometimes. Sorry, Michelle. Um, <laughs> But yeah, to use my privilege essentially as a way to help and not harm others. For example, like not taking space or time away from um, men and women of color when they want their voices to be heard and not making it about me, but instead using my privilege to um, help and be of assistance. I think you guys all really kind of hit the nail on the head, but I'd also say allyship comes with sacrifice too, right? So I think a lot of people think like, oh, I'm an ally, da, 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 da. But it's also like, it's work and it's it's active. It's not just like, oh, I like black people, so I'm an ally. Like, no, it's speaking out when you see something wrong. Um, it's a really active kind of thing and an active role to take on, right? So I think with that being said, like going into that active part of it, we can talk about activism. Um, I know that each of you are doing different things on your campus, and obviously we're doing a lot on the conference level too. I'm sure all of you have heard or seen someone say, why don't you just stick to sports, right? Um, what would you guys say as a response to that, and why is this work so important to do? I can speak on that a little bit. Um, I think my mindset was kind of in that same place of let's just stick to sports. Like my sports was my escape and kind of everything that was going on outside the world was put out because we had practice games, whatever. But we faced a really different time in March when we all got sent home and we didn't have sports. Um, and there was nothing else to focus on. It was the coronavirus or whatever else is in the news. And 
especially when um, the murder of George Floyd happened, I didn't have any other distraction. I don't think many people did. Um, if you have, if you watch the news, you couldn't get away from it. Um, so that was when I took the platform that I had being an athlete and decided to use that to speak up for um, or against inju injustice, um, racial injustice. And I think that discovering that and how impactful using my platform was and seeing other athletes around me use their platform as well. I think I realized that it is, it's bigger than the sport. We are lucky enough to be in this position that we are um, to have that voice. I mean, just exactly that, like outside of sports, we're all people still, we all contribute to society. Like I go home for the summer, I go back to California and I have a job there and I'm a contributing member to society. So if someone tells me to stick to sports, like what do I do when I'm back home not playing sports? It's, it's just really conflicting because like, at, and then too, once we graduate, a lot of us are not gonna be playing professional sports. We're gonna have careers, like we're gonna be real people. We vote still, I voted in selection. Like everyone has their own place in society. So I don't see why we should just stick to sports. I would just say um, it, it's hard to stick to sports because even like in like stories like Jackie Robinson, remember the Titans and things like that, um, just your, your racial identity, your social identity, your cultural identity does trail into sports. Um, a lot of people that do have the privilege, they can just say, hey, just wash it off and just focus on the game. But some, some things that even fans and coaches and other players will look down on you or have a perspective of you just because of your skin, where your, your background and things like that. So it's hard just to say stick to sports just because this problem, you can't, like a coat, you can't just take it off and, and leave it at the door when you check in for practice and stuff like that. Um, so I think it is hard for people to understand that perspective and that reality that we have to wear that till we die. Um, it's not just something we can leave at, at the door um, something that we can overlook just because we can swing a bat, run fast and do stuff like that. Going off of Chris's point, I like the point that you said about like, we can't just leave it at the door and stuff because reality is like, we step out of practice and the world hits us. We are of color and living in America. Um, so I think that that's something that, I mean, personally, I play a pretty a predominantly white sport. Um, there's... I think 33 of us and there's six kids of color on our team. Um, so that was something that I think a lot of people on my team weren't thinking about. And then we finally got to sit down and have a talk this past summer. And it was, I think every team should do it. I think it's really beneficial because I really like white privilege is there. It's real. So I don't think that unless you're faced with it because we're teammates and we don't talk about anything seriously, really when we're in sports, um, it's easier for everyone to kind of just overlook it, but I definitely think it can do more good than any type of harm um, to talk as a team. Zoe, going off of that, when I was in college, I played field hockey, which is one of the most white sports pretty much out there. And around the time of the Kaepernick protests, a lot of teams on our campus were kneeling during the national anthem or like select players were allowed to, but on my team, our coach did not allow it. And I mean, that was incredibly disappointing because that is a great opportunity to take a stand in front of, you know, even though it was a division three field hockey team, dozens of parents that were white and didn't understand and just take a moment to give that visibility to um, the select athletes on our team that were of color and just to those parents and fans and take that moment and use our white privilege in that capacity. Our schools 
do great work. You guys are smart. You guys are passionate about these issues. Being an athlete is such a small part of what makes up who you guys are, right? And so for people making those comments, you don't get to watch our games and see what you guys do on the field and on the court, on the track, and not be able to support the work that you're doing outside of that. You guys are humans. You're not just objects for people's entertainment, right? So hearing comments like that, it's so dismissive um, and it's just not okay. You guys are so much more than just your stats um, and you have a right to speak out on what you're passionate about, right? Okay guys, so why don't we talk about activism and what you guys are doing um, on your campuses or ideas, we can get things kind of flowing. Zoe, I know you've been doing a lot of great work on the Merrimack campus, so will you start us off? Yeah, for sure. Um, so this past summer, um, like I've kind of already mentioned, um, there was obviously a lot of schools were trying to figure out how to address um, the murder of George Floyd and make sure that, especially athletic programs, wanted to make sure that they were there for their student athletes as a whole, but especially those student athletes of color. Um, because I know at Merrimack, that's just not necessarily something that we addressed. Um, not that it was ignored, it just, there was never really a big outcry um, of need. So this past year gave us a really good opportunity to take a hold of the movement. And we started the Athletics Diversity Committee here. And with that, we got around 60 athletes together, um, all on, panels um and we would do zoom calls and just kind of talk about how everybody's feeling it's everybody was different colors of the rainbow there was a lot of representation on um our committee so it was really nice to see that and really good to just talk as athletes about something that we never really address um so with that we decided to do some events this year and one of them that we did was an injustice t-shirt um signing event so we put out different tables around campus with blank white t-shirts. Um, they said something like, one of them said Black Lives Matter. One of them said, um, I think, oh, I can't breathe. And we had one more that said, say their names. So we had those around the main part of our campus and we invited everybody, not just athletes, um, to come and sign um, a name of someone who had died at the hands of police brutality. So that was really moving because there were so many names on there that I had never heard about, um, a, just that everyone had filled up those t-shirts. We had three extra large t-shirts filled front and back. So that was our first event to kind of get uh, the, na the name out um, of our committee. And then our next event about a month later was a moment of solidarity, um, which have been happening at many of the protests that have been happening around the country. So what we did is at 12.15 on a Monday, we all, came out and spread social distance and kneeled for eight minutes and 46 seconds um, because that was the amount of time that George Floyd was held down on the ground until he um, passed away. So we did that and it was incredible. I mean, I it was more than I ever had hoped that it could have been. The school was silent for almost nine minutes. So that was not just athletes, again, we the athletes were behind the whole event, but 
we invited the whole school faculty was there our whole athletic administration was there um people from the dining hall were coming out it was it was really a great moment um so we've just been kind of trying to make sure that it isn't a moment and that it is a movement and that we continue talking about these situations i remember seeing some of like the social media posts from merrimack that day and it was so awesome to see all the awareness to the issue that you guys just brought it looked like your whole campus was participating so that's awesome um andrew chris what kinds of things do you guys do either on campus on your team or on your own to kind of bring light to these issues um, i would say that um in our sprints and hurdles group we're predominantly um of color um, so I would say that we always try to engage in conversations when stuff comes up in the media, um, even if it's like if we have like a Zoom meeting or something like that, so, or we just have open conversations at the end of practice. Um, I think our Black Student Union does a pretty good job on campus when they collaborate with our SAC program. Um, we have like stuff uh, throughout like that we make like into our Frankie's Cup, which has the athletes coming, but also the regular students. Um, we had a coach from the basketball team, um, Eric Taylor, he had a hike for humanity. And it just was a great thing to encourage someone, like, you know, someone that you don't know, just to just go out and have a, like a friend, you know, just to talk about, you know, whatever you feel that's going on in your mind and however you feel in that situation of the in social injustice and just, you know, just a, a place where you, you know, it can be peaceful. Um, we had it multiple times. So, you know, you can each time create a bond or a connection with someone you don't really know. Also while supporting the cause as for community and for everyone. So I think we do a pretty good job uh, incorporating all of our campus uh, when we do our things. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought up the hike for humanity. Morgan, you actually did an interview with Eric Taylor. So for those of you watching, be sure to go watch that interview as well because he did a great job at SFU um, with that initiative. So thanks for sharing that. Andrew, what about you? Yeah, so I'm not sure if you guys know, but SFC doesn't really have that big of a campus. It's actually just like a pretty big building on one block, but we always say that the city is our campus. So unfortunately we can't really hold like big campus events, especially with COVID. We weren't able to do anything of like Zoe's, you know, um, level, I guess, of activism, but the men's and women's volleyball team did a collaborative effort this um, summer, or like fall, summer, when the uh, protests were happening. We um, made a, sent a message on all of our Instagram stories and tagged SFVK, uh, men's volleyball, and the St. Francis school itself, just because they hadn't made a, they hadn't sent out a message saying that they're in support of the Black athletes, because St. Francis College is pretty much um, the athletics are predominantly of color. The athletes who are on the athletics team um, are predominantly of color, and they hadn't sent out a message yet, so we were demanding a message. And a couple of days later, the school itself and our team um, program sent out a message saying that they advocate for the lives of those of the athletes, you know, who play for their school and wear the school's name on their jersey on the back every single game. Um, in addition to that, we had team meetings on my team with um, a representative from, I believe it was like a diversity group. And they're actually starting an initiative for men's volleyball because it is such a white dominated sport. So the whole initiative was to recruit more students so that the diversity rate would be more inclusive, you know? 
thanks for sharing guys. It sounds like you guys are doing a lot of really great stuff on your campus and I've been really excited to see some of your stuff through social media. So keep up the good work on your campuses. Um, I also wanted to talk about what we've seen um, as far as activism on the professional level. Um, so we obviously just have the Super Bowl, um, which was really interesting how um, they have a lot of their like end racism messaging, which I'm a little iffy on. Um, but I think it's interesting because we're still seeing that Colin Kaepernick is not playing. Um, he started kneeling in 2016 and now in 2021, the NFL has done a lot of work in this space, but why isn't Cap playing? Um, what do you guys think about the NFL's initiatives or any other initiatives that you've seen um, on the professional level? I would just say, um, I heard a quote that said, every woman that's done something radical and changed has been the only one that's been remembered. So obviously, like as a professional, you do have to keep that professional aspect of just do the job. But I think whenever you go against the grain, it's always going to come with the sacrifice of money and fame and th things like that. But I think people are forgetting the fact that he felt that strong about it and, like then and he still has now. Why isn't he being honored enough? Um, because now you'll see like, uh, say like LeBron James will now put it like more than an athlete on and now everyone's praising him. But where was he when, you know, Colin Kaepernick was off the team? Everybody was, they were sending condolences or they were sent, saying that it wasn't right, but no one was really necessarily standing. Yeah, I think now that now it's, it was almost trending. It was almost like a trend and popular to be activists, like to be an activism or to be an activist that now a lot of these athletes are showing out and standing up to it. And I think it's, as far as the NFL goes, it's pretty telling that their commissioner is a white, old white man. Um, so what kind of adversity has he faced in his life? I don't know. I don't know him personally, but if we're looking at it, um, it took until 2020 to start actually looking at this and standing up and using a voice. Um, I kind of agree completely that it, it was, it's a trend. It's like people trying to save their own butts and make sure that it's ethically, politically looks correct and making sure that they can keep all their fans still. Because um, I think it is, it's just really hypocritical to have end racism on the back of your helmets or to allow some players to kneel now that it's okay and that all professional sports are doing it. But then you still have um, Kaepernick who was ahead of his time and he's like, it's still people will be complaining about him, but I'm like, I don't know. I just, I think that he was ahead of his time and he was very much predicting what was to come. Um, and I feel deeply for him because that was, he, it was strong. It was brave to step out there alone and do that. Um, and I think that the best thing that college athletes can learn from it because we're not professional athletes. Um, some of us may go on to be, but that he made a bigger statement by kneeling and sacrificing his own career um, than just staying silent and submissive to a larger company. Yeah, I feel like, well, it's so easy to look at professional sports as, you know, sports as we see them as like college kids, something that's, you know, fun or 
just enjoyable at the end of the day, the NFL and other like major professional sports organizations are businesses and nothing put that on display as much as this past year did in that, you know, they were doing what looked good. Like you said, Zoe, what was trendy for their largest and loudest audience at the time, same as they did in 2016, they were appeasing their largest and loudest audience at the time by getting rid of cap. And this past year, we've also seen, you know, not just not, promoting athletes that speak out against social injustices, but also not punishing athletes that don't. There were so many athletes um, at the beginning of this season that were like, I'm not gonna put Andresa or any names on my helmet. I am going to stand for the national anthem, all sorts of things. And they just could, they could you know, promote hateful rhetoric on their social medias. And there was absolutely no repercussions for that because the NFL doesn't wanna like, you know, hurt their, most famous or most talented players, regardless of what they stand for. So that was definitely disheartening. So it makes a lot of um, their posting and their kind of media right now around end racism seem so empty. It's just empty promises. There's no policy changes. They're not actually doing anything on that front. They're just saying it. And once it is out of fashion or um, not trendy, which obviously should not be the case to say Black Lives Matter anymore. They won't. They just mm-hmm. won't. It's just performative activism. They yeah. Performative activism at that point. Yeah. Absolutely, Andrew. That um, going off of that point of performative activism, you know, at the beginning of the call, we discussed what we think activism is, what it means to us. We talked about the great work that you guys are doing. Talked about maybe what activism should not look like. Um, what would you guys, what advice would you give to people who want to be allies but don't know where to start or want to get involved with this work but just don't know where to start? What would you tell those people? Education is huge in this, I think in this aspect of it because if you're telling somebody the wrong thing, you are causing more harm to the issue than good. So it's being educated about what you know and what you're saying and just saying it, like just having a voice, giving yourself a voice for others to be heard. And I think we're we're in a really lucky period of time where if you have literally any type of social media and you don't want to read pages and pages, I know I hate to read. So like if you want it quick and you need the information, there are so many resources out there right now that you can get a play-by-play. And if you want to go deeper into it, you can. There's also plenty of articles and um, great published pieces that you can look up literally anywhere. Um, but I think a big part that I've taken from this um, is especially like for the bi- best thing I can tell white allies is that you shouldn't be relying on your peers of color. Um, I think it, it's it's past that point. Um, if you're at this point, let's say you just let's say you just became educated or started caring in March. If you're still asking your um, friends of color like what's this about? Can you explain this to me? I think like people of color are tired. We've been explaining this for years and years and years. Um, So it's, I think it's very important to um, in the nicest way possible, do your own research because we're, we're here for you. Like we, we completely um, accept your allyship, but in order to really show that you're, you're genuine and you want to learn, it's also important to understand that it's not people of color's responsibility to explain to you how they're feeling. 
think it's really hard to try to explain so much. So I would just say the first thing is just forget everything you think you know. Um, I think a lot of times people think they know more just because they've seen it a lot. Well, I was at a, a black high school and I was the only white person. It doesn't matter. Unless you're walking in my shoes to where I've had opportunities closed and, you know what I mean, been counted out, been counted down or looked, looked down upon. Um, I think once we get to that point where we know nothing, then we can hear and actually understand more. Um, I think a lot of people, they want to know so much, but they still have their ideals in their head. But your ideals don't match my skin color. How you feel, how you think, and what you do does not match my skin color. I can't do the same things you can do. I can't think the same ways you can. I can't walk the same way you can. I can't, I can't hang out the same, you know, I can't do, I can't hold myself to the same character that you can. I have to hold myself a little bit higher because I'm lower than you are in other people's eyes. Chris, thank you so much for sharing. Really appreciate it. Um, Morgan, any thoughts on how people can be better allies? Yeah, um, something I will say, I'm going to plug our book club because I do think it has been the most important and powerful part of my NEC experience. Um, and for you three and anyone listening, each week, Alexis guides us through um, different books on different kind of diversity, equity, inclusion topics. Our first two were around racial injustice. And again, Zoe, like you said, it's not the entire burden of Alexis as a black woman to educate uh, primarily white staff on these topics, but it has been helpful to hear her perspective and have just an hour dedicated each week to reading and learning and educating ourselves. And I'm just, I'm gonna hype up Alexis a little bit here. Um, Alexis, make sure that we don't get lazy with it, that we are actually engaging with the material and that we take it beyond the page, beyond just knowing you know, these new facts and that we look through our own policies and find where they could be, um, there could be embedded you know, institutional racism, especially in like professional dress and travel attire, things like that and make sure we know how we can change that in the future and make it more inclusive and more equitable. Um, but yeah, so for myself as an ally, like you said, Zoe, is to not just stick to that one hour each week, is to go out and do my own research. Or if I'm reading a book for the upcoming week, to, if I don't understand something, not just go and text Alexis. That That's the easy out for me. You know, Alexis has a, like two full jobs. She doesn't need <laughs> to be answering my like, probably obvious white person questions. I have a computer. I have two computers. I have a phone. Like I could just look it up. I have Alexa. I could ask her um, instead of just going to essentially like the token black woman of our office. And I do think at the beginning of my time here at the NEC, I tended to do that. I just sent something to Alexa to be like, hey, can you look over in this to make sure I didn't say something wrong? It is my job to make sure I didn't say something wrong, not Alexis's to make sure I look and sound good. So Morgan, going off of that, I would say also for people wanting to be better allies or get more into activism, the best place to start is with yourself. Um, I think it's really easy for people to be like, oh, like, I want to go to a protest. I want to do that. I want to get out and do this and I'm going to change the world. And that's, that's like good that you're excited about it. But at the same time, like, we all have work to do on ourselves before we can go out and tell other people like, check your privilege and da, 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 right? So I think it's looking internally and looking at the things that you do every day that uphold different systems of oppression, right? Um, 
I think we all experience some kind of privilege, whether it's like having privilege as a male or having privileged as just like an able-bodied person, you know, like I am a straight able-bodied person. So there are some privileges that I still have, even though I am a woman and I am black. Um, so me needing to look at are there things that I do that exclude people from the LGBTQ plus community because I'm straight and might not be thinking about it every day, right? It's an active, like, it's almost like every decision you, you make, you need to think, how does this affect people who are different from me, right? So I think there's a lot of internal reflection that needs to happen with allyship as well. I know that in my experience, it's also happened internally first, and then it happened with my family, because my family was completely uneducated about just like this whole aspect and everything. Like I'm Mexican, I'm full Mexican. My parents are both Mexican. Their parents are from Mexico, so they grew up with strict, like traditional conservative values. And it was, it's pretty like some of their, their teachings were racist, you know? So it's almost like I had to unteach those things so I could become a better activist for someone else, you know? it's like. I think it starts small and then it, it gets bigger definitely as you, you get more educated and as you start to educate others and help others become activists too. Yeah, there's a lot of like unlearning that has to happen before you can start relearning or learning the right things. Are there specific ways that we at the NEC can better serve you as students and student athletes of color? I know I've talked with Alexis about this recently, but I think just um, in simple terms, just making sure that like athletic administrators, um, when they're putting out these statements um, saying they support their athletes of color and that they want this to be a movement, not a moment, um, just making sure that they that they mean it and then um, kind of just following up of how, how are you making sure that this stays as a movement and how are you making sure that this is um, a constant topic that we're talking about and not letting it get lost and only come up when the media is also talking about it. Um, so I would just say that is making sure that it's, that those statements are genuine. I agree with that. I think a lot of times it's not a topic of interest. It's just pacification at its finest. Um, a lot of times we need to make a statement on it. So we need to, we need to say it, but it's not genuine. It's not heart moving. It's not heartfelt. It's just to check the box and say that we, we, we've said something. Um, so I think just making sure that that the, even the students know and that the students feel like they're actually wanted and not just that they, they said it just so the students will stay. I would say maybe just um, spread out the message more. Maybe like give it to each individual school so they can spread out the message on their campus or something. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, I really appreciate, like Morgan said, you guys opening up and sharing um, what you guys are doing on your campus and just your thoughts and feelings with us. Um, I want you guys to know that at the NEC, we care and we want to do this work and we make things better. Um, so for you guys who just shared your thoughts with us along with any other student athletes or coaches or administrators, we wanna hear what we can do better.
Well, Morgan, Zoe, Andrew, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Alexis Watson, and this has been our activism and allyship discussion, the third part of our Black History Month discussion series on NEC Now.